0: For people who are doing like bars mid-race, there's just so much stuff in there that is not necessary. And you want to cut out as much of that as possible when you're racing.
1: Yeah, every single additional molecule you add, if it's not useful, then it's actually probably hurting you because it's one more thing your stomach has to take care of.
2: Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 20 of the Matchbox podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host Adam Sabin, and first off I want to apologize to you all for some inconsistency we've had this month with getting our shows out. We're in the middle of restructuring our podcast crew a little bit and haven't quite found our groove. So we're working on it and we promise to get back to our regularly scheduled weekly program in no time. This week Dylan and I are joined by Flow Formulas co-founder Caleb Reese for an open discussion on race feeling and hydration. Yes, that's right. Our first official outside guest came on the show, and to cap it off, Flow has agreed to come on as our first show sponsor. We couldn't be more excited to have this science-based homegrown brand supporting us here at the Matchbox, and if you haven't tried Flow yourself yet, stick around to the end of the show to hear a special Matchbox discount code so you can get Flow ordered today. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and head over to your favorite podcast engine to leave us a five-star review. If you want us to cover a training-related topic in a future episode, you can email us at info at ignitioncoachcode.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram, give us a follow, and send us a DM. We plan on doing another listener episode soon, so send us those questions. All right, let's get into it. All right, what's up, guys? How's it going today? Good. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm good. This is cool. We got two different uh, recording locations. We got three people on the show today, so it's going to be awesome. I think this is the first time we've ever had two of us in the same location. Two of us, not being you and I, but our guest for the day. It's a little little precursor. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, race fueling and hydration, kind of what that looks like for you know different events and duration of events, uh, different uh, fueling strategies and hydration strategies. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we got three of us today.
0: Anyone been doing any racing lately? You want to talk about? Um, I haven't raced since uh, crushing the Tusher, So just training okay for leadville. i think you talked to you talked to crusher i think on the last show yeah i talked plenty about crusher i don't even say
2: <laughs> <that>. <laughs> uh so we've got our guest on the show this week uh caleb uh any racing for you lately man
1: uh i just wrapped up tahoe trail 100 let's see is that two weeks ago i believe
2: mm-hmm.
1: i was trying to get into a better corral for leadville okay how'd that go uh, well, I didn't get in the, into the gold corral, but it went well. I think that race, the corrals are a little bit, uh they, they favor like only like two people getting into the gold corral, whereas a lot of their other races are a little bit easier, but
3: it went well. Mm.
1: Got seventh overall. And nice. that's 100K, not 100 miles. Yeah, 100K. So yeah. it's like a four something hour race. Nice. Cool. Yeah,
2: I had an athlete uh, doing the single speed race there. That was one of his A events, so we we prepped for that. And he went up and did a little pre-altitude camp and stuff. And uh, yeah, he said the course was awesome. Uh sounded like conditions were kind of perfect, like it was cooler in the morning and then kind of warmed up a little bit later in the day. But uh, yeah, it sounded awesome.
1: Yeah, the temperature was great, but the course was blown out. It was crazy dusty. I, I was just covered in a layer of dust at the end of it. <laughs> is that race at altitude? Um, I think it ranges from around six to seven thousand feet. Okay. Yeah.
2: And where do you where do you normally live at, Caleb? Like, what el- elevation are you normally at? Um, normally around six thousand in Golden, Colorado. Okay. So for you, it wasn't there wasn't much of an adjustment period.
1: No, it was it was good. Okay.
2: Yeah, I I've, I've only been out there. I did the epic rides Carson City race, uh, three or four years ago or something like that, uh, which is on the other side of tahoe uh so i didn't really do any riding in, in tahoe proper but got to see the lake and stuff which was pretty cool
0: sweet yeah adam you want to talk about the gravel race even though we already talked about it on long Bros? or <laughs> yeah i feel like we just talked about that on the other show but yeah i, I can talk about it a bit uh i can't so, even remember the name of the race to be honest with you too hard <laughs> <to remember. laughs>
2: yeah so so i did this race this past weekend called the nepo muck gnarly 100 which is, it's a, it's a gravel race in like Northern North Dakota. So like literally 30 miles from the Canadian border. It's like way up North. Uh, and I live in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, f- just for reference, Caleb. So um, pretty familiar with the Dakotas, but that was like way up, way up North. Never really been up there before. Uh, so it's like a hundred mile gravel race, kind of in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, super small town of Pizik. Uh, and it was put on by the Catholic priest in like the whole community basically in this in this town uh the the name I guess comes from like the the name of the church it's some kind of like play on words of of some biblical reference that the church is named after um I'm not I, I'd completely butcher it so nepo muck is what I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with but um <laughs> yeah so it was this it was this cool race uh my a buddy of mine had like sent me the the link to it and info on it maybe a month or so prior and we pretty much just heard about it because it had a huge prize purse. Well, relatively huge prize purse for what it was. So they had $5,000 prize purse for each of the men's and the women's field. Um, so yeah, just kind of decided to flock up that way just to have a shot at winning some prize money. Um, and unfortunately for me, uh, they brought in a ringer in Adam Roberge. So he was kind of the, I mean, ringers, even maybe an, an overstatement. I mean, he was just like by far in a way, the favorite of the race, um, not just physically, but like literally the town was like in love with Adam. It was, it was actually kind of cool and, uh, cute in a way. Like they were just like, they were just oogling over the fact that Adam came out and you know did their race, which was pretty cool. Um, and there's actually a really sweet recap video that he put out there. Uh, I think his girlfriend Camille was, was at the race with him and she was in the, the, uh, lead vehicle and she got some like awesome footage uh, of the front of the race and put together this like super cool recap video so for anyone out there listening if you want to check it out uh just look up adam roberge on youtube and you can find his nepo muck 100 race recap um but yeah so i mean the race as far as like you know how it went uh from the gun i knew like adam was going to be the only like the main target to keep an eye on so he he attacked like probably about a mile into the race. Uh, it wasn't like a super hard attack or anything, but he kind of just accelerated from like mid pack to like off the front. Uh, so I jumped pretty quickly and went with him and it ended up like, I thought there'd be two or go- two or three guys that would jump on with us. But I looked back like a minute later and we had a huge gap, like no one even like considered going with us. So I like said to Adam, I was like, Hey man, we got a gap. We're like, let's, let's just do this. And the two of us, we like rode off the front super hard for uh close to 2 hours. We were just trading pulls like 4 or 5 minute pulls, both pulling pretty hard. Uh, and we we'd built like a over 10 minute gap for sure uh by about 2 hours into the race. And then we hit this mud section that like the the lead vehicle was like a side-by-side like ATV, like you know, four-person ATV thing. And they were like kind of spinning out and shooting mud at us. And Adam, like 20 feet into this mud section, kind of had to get off his bike and, you know, he kind of stopped moving. So I thought like I I was riding it pretty good. So I was like gung ho about trying to ride this whole mud section and made it like another hundred feet and just completely locked up, like bike locked up, chain fell off mud was everywhere. Like I, when I got off the bike, my, my shoes like sunk into my ankles. I was just like, Oh, this, it was such a stupid decision. Um, so it took us, it took us, it had to have been 10 minutes cause we lost our gap by the time we got back on our bike. Like the chase group had like started to catch us. They were like entering this mud session, section when we were getting back on our bikes. Um, so I found out after the race that Adam, he, he had kind of learned early on that, my handling skills were a little bit, uh, superior to his. So, so his plan was like to try and lose me before this technical section that was coming up like 20 miles later. So he got on his bike like 20 or 30 seconds before I did after this mud section and almost immediately kind of went into attack mode. And I like rode pretty hard to like catch up to him. And like, as soon as I was like, I don't know, 10 meters from making contact, he like hit the hammer pretty hard and I was already pretty pretty cash at that point. Uh, I was like kind of riding at my limits just to stay with him in the break. Um, like I was, I went back and looked and for like the first two hours when we were riding together, I was at like 0.93 IF. So like pretty, pretty hard effort to stay up there. Um, but I was motivated too, because I was like, if we can just build a gap, like at least like we don't have to worry about the chase group. So yeah, by the time I like tried to attack and, or like tried to um, respond to his attack and like make contact, he like, hit it again. And then that was kind of it. It it kind of broke me at that point. Uh, so I was, I was solo second for like the last 60 miles. Uh, I like lost contact with, with Adam pretty soon after that. And then never saw anyone again. Uh, which like when you're in the middle of North Dakota, like in the middle of nowhere, uh, and it was like kind of raining. Uh, I don't know. It just felt like this, like kind of majestic training ride. Like I was like, riding hard enough where it was like still hard training and like racing, but like there was no one there. So like, it didn't really feel like I was racing. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't really feel like you're racing against anyone else. It was just like me against the elements or whatever. So that was kind of cool, I guess. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I mean, I overall it was like actually a pretty solid performance for me. Uh, I think the end of the race was five hours and 50 minutes and I had like a point, eight two if which is about right where i'd expect to be normalized of like 268 or something like that 267 uh so about where i expected to be uh i don't know honestly what else i could have done to to have beaten adam um i was talking with my coach a little bit afterwards and like there were there were a few sections early on in the race where uh where i was like taking some tighter corners or like descents like quite a bit smoother and faster than adam and i think that's where he got this idea of like Hey, I need to drop this guy before this other technical section coming up. So I don't know, like maybe if I didn't show my cards too early and like never got that in his mind and he would have just like not been super motivated to try and drop me or something. Um, but other than that, like there was like, I, I didn't have the horsepower on the day to, to keep up with Adam. I mean, there's probably not any day that I'd have the horsepower to keep up with
0: him, to be honest. Uh, he was just a strong that, dude. I think that what you should have done was pulled an Adam. <laughs> dude, <laughs> the reason, so the reason why Adam. <laughs> Uh, Adam is one of the most disliked pro gravel racers among pro gravel racers. I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's got a lot of fans out there, but like I'm talking about the Pete Stetnas, the, the uh, Lawrence 10 dams, the, the Ian Boswell's are not a huge fan of Adam because when he's, when they make a select group and there's, you know, five to 10 riders left in the race, Adam Quite often doesn't do any work, uh, so I th- I think what you should have done was just just give him a taste of his own medicine and uh, not <laughs> not done any work, just let. Yeah, him do I, mean, it. I mean, I mean, I kind of knew that
2: reputation coming in. Like I, you know, Payson's talked about it on his show and stuff. Like, uh, he's even like called them out. You know, like not even like tried to like be discreet about it. Like he's he's like straight called Adam out like by name. Um, so I kind of like knew that coming in and like, obviously knew he had a one up on me fitness wise and just experience wise. Um, but he was like, like, as soon as we got in the break, I mean, he was just like such a good riding partner, like a breakaway partner that I don't know, I just like, didn't really want to do that to him. You know, like, yeah, I wanted to like try and win the race, but, uh, we were just like working so well together and like, I don't know, he was like, I like, I've never, I don't call anything out. Like if there's like a rock in the road, like I either like bunny hop over it or like, just swerve around it or something. Um but he was like calling stuff out and like, you know, we were like I mean it was like four and a half minute polls like every single time. So like I, I mean that was actually my plan A was like kinda like, you know, if I make the break with this guy, like I'll try and sit in more than do work, you know, 'cause I I knew that I'd be, you know, on my back foot otherwise. But uh I don't know. Like once we got into it, I just it was like we were working so smoothly together, I just didn't want to I don't know, ruin that flow, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For if sure. there
2: were like four guys, like, it, and I could have made it less obvious, then I, I would have done that for sure. But since it was just the two of us, like, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious when, when you're not working and, and like, if you don't do work, then he's not going to do work and then we're not going to get a big gap on the chase group. So like, I don't know, it seemed like to me, it was, it it felt more motivating at the time to like work together and just try and build a huge gap and then just hang on for dear life. And, you know, I knew that if I could make it to that one technical section, that'd be like my one chance to like put an attack in on him. Uh, like when I went back and looked on Strava, I actually had put like three or four minutes in on him during that like technical section. So like if I could have made it there or at least like had him within close contact, then like maybe there would have been a chance at that point. But, um, you know, it was just like a a little too, he attacked too early. Like I just, you know, I didn't have a chance at that point.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. Sweet. Should we, uh, should we talk about what we're all training for since all three of us are training for the same thing? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Let's do it. So yeah, normally we talk about what you're training for and yeah, this is kind of a unique situation. Um, so Dylan's part of the lifetime grand prix. Caleb and I are not part of the lifetime grand prix, but, uh, all these races are awesome. So like, we're still, I, I guess, going to quite a few of the lifetime events. Um, and the next big one on the calendar is the one and only Leadville trail 100, so, all three of us will be going to that. Uh, what are we, like two weeks away, boys? Two and, yeah, half two and a half
0: weeks? Yeah,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, two weeks from this Saturday, yeah. uh, which is always like crazy. Like, I just feel like an event like this, it just like, I don't know, it always creeps up on me. It's like,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
2: two months ago, I was like, yeah, I'm not too worried. Like, you know, Leadville's coming up. But then like, now I'm like, well, shoot, I'm two weeks away from Leadville, I guess.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, so probably so. Caleb and I are currently in Keystone, and what is it like nine thousand five hundred feet or something here yeah. elevation. Uh, we'll spend we'll spend time at Leadville before the race, so we're pretty much going to be hopefully acclimated to the altitude of Leadville itself by the time the race happens. Um, And I've I've kind of been stair stepping my altitude acclimation. Like I I spent some time in Golden, which is at you know five to six thousand feet. Then I spent some time in Pagosa Springs, which is at seven thousand feet. Now I'm up here at Keystone, which is at nine thousand. So kind of trying to gradually progress the altitude acclimation, as opposed to just being at ten thousand feet for a month. Um, There's there we talked we talked all about altitude on the last podcast so we don't need to get too much into that now but adam's got a completely opposite approach right
2: yeah so so i'll be leaving sioux falls on thursday so two weeks from today and i'll drive to spearfish south dakota which is on like the west side of the state uh, which is at like three thousand feet so basically nothing um and then i'll stay the night there with some friends and then a couple of my friends from there are crewing for me so we're going to drive down Friday and get in like Friday at like four o'clock is, the, is like ETA right now based on when we anticipate we'll leave. Um, have to be there by five because like the the packet pickup or whatever closes at five apparently. So uh, pretty much getting there as late as possible. I don't even know if I'm going to ride when I get to Leadville. Like I, I maybe we will do like a half hour shakeout spin or something just to get some blood flowing after the eight hour car drive. Um, but otherwise, like, I don't want to have any fatigue or anything like that, that I'm trying to recover from, uh, yeah. be, you know, I'll spend one night at 10,000 feet, um, and be starting the race 26 hours after I get there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, literally like coming in last minute is, is my plan this year. Uh, I couldn't get out there for more than I, I could have come like Monday, um, and been out there for six days. But I honestly just like I, I've, I've done that before. I've, I've been at altitude for a handful of other races where I've gotten there like four or five days in advance. And it's like every day feels worse and then like race on the fourth or fifth day and I feel terrible. So I'm just kind of hoping for the, the last minute, um, you know, minimal effect of, of being at altitude um, and kind of hoping for the best. And we'll see how it goes. I've never done this before. So, I mean, if it doesn't go good, then I guess I'll know better for next year and try and plan ahead. But Leadville kind of came up out of nowhere too. I, I had, I was, I was out for like a wedding in California, I think in May and out for a training ride. And I came across this super nice guy that I was riding with for a while. Um, and he, uh, more or less offered me like a, a sponsor's exemption into the race. So Uh, so it kind of came up last minute. I mean, I, I did, I just didn't have all that much time to plan for a a big altitude camp before Leadville. Uh, it wasn't like an a race or anything like that for me because it was kind of last minute too. So, uh, still a big event. Like I still want to do well, but I figure like if I, if I have two options, it's either come and acclimate or show up last minute. So that's what I'm going to try.
0: Sweet. Awesome, man. Cool. Well, should we jump into it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so today on the show, we've got Caleb Reese. Uh, Caleb, are you the co-founder of Flow, or, or how would you describe yeah, that? Yeah, co-founder. Co-founder of uh, Flow Formulas a Nutrition Company. Uh, it's a nutrition that both Dylan and I have used in the past, um, and Flow is actually going to be coming on and uh, partnering with us at the Matchbox podcast here. Uh, they're going to be our first show sponsor, so that's super cool. We're excited about that, and yeah, we figured you know what better time to bring Caleb on than the episode that we're talking about hydration and nutrition. So that's what we're going to get into today. Uh, we'll start with a little bit of background information on Caleb here. So uh, Caleb, I'll ask you a few questions, and just feel like feel free to get into it. So uh, where are you originally from? Uh, kind of what's your what's your educational background and uh, what's your athletic background?
1: Yeah, so. Um, like a lot of people, I started, um, most of my athleticism in ball sports. So I played basketball, baseball, high school, and I really didn't get into cycling until like the end of college. And at that time I was living in Mississippi. So not a lot of mountain biking there, but, uh, I kind of looked around the country, saw Colorado was on the map and got really excited about that. Um, I was finishing a degree in chemistry so I started shooting out applications for grad school and one of the, one of the schools was Colorado School of Mines um, and I got accepted. I was so stoked and honestly that like, chemistry was I really I really like chemistry and I was really into it but like 50% of the reason I applied to that school was because of mountain biking in Colorado. So I was so excited to get in. And that's when I kind of joined the let's see the collegiate team so I was kind of a late bloomer, but I did collegiate in grad school. So I was probably the oldest person there by like five years. So I was the old, like mid 20, 20 year old guy racing with these 18 year olds. But it was, it was pretty awesome. I enjoyed that a lot. And that really kind of opened up a whole new world of seeing just how competitive some of these people are and just how, like in Mississippi, I was like amazing. I would win every race I did. But then I go to Colorado and I'm a no one, no one cares about me. And it's like, oh, you suck! It's like, so it's kind of motivating to really try and train and and get into a lot of these things. Uh, and then during grad school, uh, my sister Hannah, she's the founder of Flow Formulas. She also lived in Colorado, so she started developing this sports, sports nutrition drink for her uh, running. So she was a elite marathon runner at the time. She was trying to qualify for the Olympics. So she started sharing stuff with me, and at that same time, I just started getting into longer mountain bike racing. I did, I think it was Salida Big Freaking Loop. It's like this free ultra endurance series up in Colorado, and it it was horrible. I, I bonked like <laughs> five times. I remember just being like five hours five hours into this race, just laying on the ground for like ten minutes, at a time. Like I was just I was so done. So right at that time she started sharing this stuff with me and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. And that's kind of when we started kicking off flow formulas. So,
2: so when she was first starting to make her own kind of like formulas was, was she like, like what was her background and like, how did, how did she start to come up with it? Like, was she experimenting with it or did she kind of have something in mind ahead of time and just started buying some ingredients or how did that work out?
1: Yeah, so her background is in uh, nutrition, so she's a dietitian um, as well as runner, and she had all, all sorts of stomach problems. So a lot of other leading sports nutrition companies they use corn for a lot of their um, sugars, and that was just like causing bloating in her stomach and just wasn't working well for her. And as you can imagine, trying to run fast that does not not ideal at all. So she started using other ingredients so our two main ingredients are um agave for fructose and maltodextrin is um, tapioca and those both agreed with her way better then on top of that she um, also started looking into like sports nutrition science which she also has a little bit of a background in and started mixing those in different ratios and experimenting with that to see what would work well for her
2: awesome and, and so when you, when you first started getting into some of the, like, the ultra distance, you know, longer marathon stuff on the mountain bike, like you weren't, it's not like you were new at this point, right? I mean, you you'd been racing for a handful of years. Uh, you'd done some shorter races. Um, what, I mean, what was your feeling strategy at the time? Like, how, what, what do you think that you were missing, uh, when you were going from some of those like shorter, uh, like cross country style events to then, you know, bumping up to those marathon or ultra distance distance,
1: distance events? Like what, what were you missing out on? I think the biggest thing I was missing out on was the amount of carbs I needed. Uh, I'd mostly done XC racing, and you can get away with just having basically like electrolyte mix with a little bit of sugar. That, that works fine if you're doing an hour and a half. Um, but once I started doing some of these like three to five hour or even like eight hour races, obviously you need a lot more carbs. So I think that was the the biggest thing that I, I was missing out. Awesome.
2: Yeah, and that's, like, that's one of my favorite things about flow is, like, it's so simple. I mean, like, you literally just look at the bag, and it tells you exactly what you should do. Like, if you're just on a normal endurance training day, it tells you, like, you do two scoops, so you get 60 grams of carbs for those, like, you know, training rides. And then when you're trying to translate to, like, a longer, uh, you know, marathon or ultra endurance race, and you need more carbs on store, like, it tells you, okay, now you can bump it up to three scoops. Um, Have you found, Caleb can most people accommodate that three scoops, 90 grams of carbs right away? Or do you still recommend that folks try to like uh, do some sort of sort of gut training? Uh, even though you guys have like the formula kind of dialed in, like is, it, is there still some kind of break-in period for most folks?
1: Yeah, I would say it's like 50-50. I'd say people that have been using nutritional products for a while and racing for a while and their stomach is kind of used to absorbing more carbs while well, training and racing. A lot of those people are fine, but people that aren't as used to it. So a lot of the people that just like go out on rides with just water and like a snack, they may have a a more of a transition period. But on our website, I think it's on our research tab, we have like a little table that basically shows you, Hey, week one, start with two scoops per bottle. Then week two, start with like two and a half scoops and kind of build your tolerance up. So there is a little bit of a tolerance but it's very much attainable. And I think almost anyone can get to that three scoops per bottle if you just train your gut to do
0: that. Awesome. I, also, I think so. A lot of people, I think sometimes they look at these nutrition products and they're like, you know, why can't I just throw sugar in my bottle or something? Or, or, um, but there's uh, when when you look into the research on what proper nutrition looks like you realize that there's an optimal ratio of these sugars that you know cause your gut to absorb it at the highest rate possible which is very important for ultra endurance racing because you want to absorb as many carbohydrates per hour as you can um you don't preferably you know you don't want to be under what you can maxima, maximally absorb so um, like maybe we could just talk about what that ratio is and what that research looks like. I know there's been some some new research that's come out lately. I don't know if you've looked into that. That where they're talking, you know, it for a while it was like 90 grams per hour is the maximum, and now there's I think there's there's a new study that's saying it's 120 grams per hour.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, that study is really interesting.
1: Um, so basically the the research we base this off of. You're, you have like two primary ways you can absorb sugar. You have your like, gastrointestinal, and then you can also absorb uh, sugar through your liver. And that's why we use the maltodextrin, which is, goes through normal digestive system. And then the fructose goes, can be absorbed through your liver. And so I think normally, and this is a lot of older research, is like the max carbs you can have is 60 grams. And that's because they're talking about absorbing that 60 grams through your stomach the traditional pathway. Whereas when you start getting both of these sugars, you can absorb more because you're using different um, pathways. So ours uses point, or, so a ratio of one maltodextrin, which is just glucose and chain form, and then 0.8 fructose, which that goes through your liver. And some n- newer research is showing that if you up that fructose even more, you could potentially absorb up to 120 grams of carbs. I think that fructose is what helps you do that but I will add to that the fructose I think is what you need to train your body to absorb I think we're all really good at absorbing just regular sugar Mm -hmm. but I think the fructose is it's easy on your stomach but you do have to train to
0: to use that much it also makes the drink mix sweeter yeah like and and I'm sure that there's a point at which it's like intolerably sweet
1: yes (laughs) yeah definitely and that's Part of how so we add um, citric acid, um, which is just a natural um, molecule that's in a lot of fruit, but that also helps get that sweetness down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, part of what Hannah and part of why she's so good at this is she her sports nutrition background. She can mix all of these flavors and citric acid in a really good way to make the sweetness as low as possible. Because when you're six hours into Leadville and you've been drinking sugar for six hours straight, you really don't want like, you don't want like a hard blast of super sweet. Yeah. Thick sports product. It's not, not Mm. ideal.
0: Yeah. I feel like flow. So there are other sports, sports mixes that use this ratio. And, and there are also other sports drink mixes that don't use this ratio. It's like, I don't know. They haven't done the research. Um, but it's it's like flow, I feel like Flow is the only one that's advertising it, which is interesting to me. I don't know why I don't know why every single sports drink company, this isn't like their headline. Maybe it's just because people don't care or people haven't done the research or this isn't common knowledge. But
1: yeah, I think there's also a little bit of like fatigue with um, consumers. Every company, it seems like they're like, oh, this is science. This is the best for you. And so few are actually science based. Most companies just claim this, but there could be like a little bit of fatigue there. So maybe, maybe some companies don't yeah. advertise it for that reason. I don't know. It does seem weird to me. It seems like an easy, easy thing to get people on board with. Sure.
0: Yeah. So, um, there, uh, racers have like such a huge variety of different nutrition strategies. Like if you, some people are eating solid food the entire time in water. And then I would say flow is on the other end of that spectrum where, uh, like for example, I I'll, I'll supplement with gels, but you like, you're only consuming (laughs) liquid calories when you're racing. Generally. So what do you, what is the, what is the advantage to doing that as opposed to, I don't know, eating like a cliff bar mid race?
1: So, your stomach is very sensitive when you're when you're racing that hard. So if you were to just like I think people, some people have probably done this. If you were just consume a gel and not drink any water, your stomach will get messed up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So the advantage of pre mixing, knowing exactly how much carbs you have per water, is you. It's much harder to mess your stomach up. So if you're drinking just the same thing, you know exactly how much water per carbs. Whereas if you're doing gels or solid food, you have to consume enough water to where you're diluting it enough to where it's not messing your stomach up. So it's just, it makes it more dummy proof.
0: Sure. And the thing I, I think for people who are doing like bars, uh, mid race, there's just so much stuff in there that is not necessary. And you want to cut out as much of that as possible when you're racing.
1: Yeah, every single additional molecule you add, if it's not useful, then it's actually probably hurting you because it's one yeah. more thing your stomach has to take care of.
0: Right, yeah. I think the the reason why I'll supplement with gels is because the amount of liquid that I'm consuming is not constant. It changes based off of the temperature, off of how dehydrated I am, humidity, whatever. Um, so, for example, like I'll... I'll drink a higher amount of liquid as the race progresses. Like I'm not drinking that much liquid in the first hour, but I'm drinking way more in the last hour. Or if it's really hot, I'm drinking more liquid. If it's really cold, I'm drinking less liquid. And I'll almost, I'll almost look to see how much of a bottle I've, I've had in that hour. Um, And then I'll supplement what I've, what I haven't, had with a gel, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for example, you know, um, like you probably do three scoops in a bottle, right? Yeah. Sometimes more. So, I, <laughs> so I'll usually do two scoops in a bottle, um, with the idea that like, maybe I'll do a bottle an hour. If I do, if I drink one bottle an hour, I'll do one gel. And that gel is, is, you know, supplementing that one scoop that I didn't have. Yeah. If I drink more than a bottle an hour, I probably don't need that gel. If I drink less than a bottle, like if I drink half a bottle in an hour because it's cold or something, then I need more gels. Um so Dylan, so how do you
2: how do you make sure or like, you know, like let's let's talk about your specific uh, scenario there. So when you're supplementing with that gel, are mm-hmm. you then taking on just straight water then in order to help make sure that that gel is getting digested properly?
0: So depends on the race there are some races where i'll have if you know if i'm carrying multiple bottles like three or four four bottles with me like if it's unbound or something i might have a bottle of just pure water to wash down gels but most of the time i'll just wash it down with flow
1: and i think that's where the two scoops for you technically have some wiggle room there because you're not fully concentrated And sometimes I'll do, instead of doing what you say with gels, I'll add like maybe four scoops to my first bottle Mm -hmm. because you're not going as hard. It's normally cooler in the morning. So it's a little bit easier to absorb. Right. And you're not drinking as much so you can kind of offset that by adding more. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so Caleb, I I I was going
2: to actually, I was going to ask you about that. So uh, about a month ago or so I did the Lutzen 99er and this is maybe like a do's and don'ts kind of, segment of the show but um so two weeks before that was my first time using flow and i did exactly three scoops per bottle and i actually had like the 26 ounce bottles like the the bigger bottles um and it was awesome i i, I only used liquid hydrate or liquid nutrition the whole time it was about five and a half hour gravel race uh it went perfect like i, I I never bonked, uh, I had like slight cramping at like hour three, but then I like recovered from that and like felt awesome by the end of the race. Um, and I attributed that to like perfect fueling. Like I, you know, like the race couldn't have gone any better from a fueling standpoint. I even dropped a bottle at one point. I like lost one of my bottles. Um, So I had to pick up, I I lost my bottle, but I picked up another bottle that was also on the ground. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Maybe that's like, maybe you shouldn't do that in COVID times or something, but whatever, I I needed something. Um, And fortunately for me, it was another bottle that had some kind of drink mix in it. So I think like, you know, it was close enough probably to whatever I was doing uh, that it it worked out just fine. Um, But that race went great. I did, you know, five and a half hours. Mm -hmm. uh, So that means I went through like just under six, uh, six bottles during that time. And I, I didn't need like any more water or anything like that. Like it was perfect. Uh, so two weeks later I went to the Lutzen 99, er which is like a Leadville qualifier race. Uh, and, and that was actually one, one of my a races for the year. I'd never done the race, but I really wanted to like top five or podium there. Um, so, but the, the aid stations, I wasn't really sure how the aids were going to work. Um, and my wife could only be at this one point where she was, she was going to be on the, on course about two and a half hours in. So it was like a little bit longer. Like I couldn't quite do two bottles. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I could do three bottles or four bottles or, you know, I wasn't really sure exactly what to do. So what I ended up doing was, uh, she was going to be at like hour two and then hour three. Like we kind of did a little loop and came back through. So I had to kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to, like, you know, I, I can't take all that many bottles with me. So what I decided to do was I took four bottles. It was supposed to be like a five-ish hour race. I took four bottles and I hyper-concentrated them. So I put four scoops in each. Um, and this is maybe a don't because I'd never practiced that before. Uh, and it didn't, it didn't go well. Uh, they were the bigger bottles. So I thought maybe I could get away with it. You know, the 26-ounce bottles. Um, but like four hours into the race... Uh, i was like so oversatiated that like i was just craving anything that was just pure water so like i had to stop at like three eight stations just to get pure water because uh, it was like i was just so over like i just like it was the, the i don't know if it was like necessarily like the flavor or what it was but i was just it was just too much for me to handle i hadn't practiced that i hadn't trained my bodies to do that i and, uh, and it was a gamble for sure um and i like pseudo bonked because of it because i just like after the race like things weren't going well either. Like it was, you know, coming out, coming out everywhere. Um, and, <laughs> and I think it was just like, I, I hadn't trained myself to do that. Um, you know, so like throwing that fourth scoop in was just too much for me to handle. And on top of that, I had caffeine in all of them too, uh, which I don't usually like, uh, microdose caffeine over the entire race like that. Like usually I'll just take in like a, 100 milligram caffeine gel halfway through or something. But instead I did like two scoops of caffeinated and then two scoops of non-caffeinated. So I was getting like quite a bit of caffeine the whole time too, which maybe wasn't helping. So I'm curious like of your thoughts on that. Like if someone's in that situation, like would you recommend that if, if they are going to have to hyper concentrate their bottles like that? Um, like would you, would you have a backup plan where someone has just like a plain water or something like that like you said sometimes you do four scoops early on but then do you have like a just a plain water bottle to go to if you need to
1: or something like that so if i do that i probably only will do it for one bottle and then my other bottles are all lower concentration and i guess a quick question how hot was it
2: it wasn't super hot actually it was at the start it was like uh 60 degrees and then i think the hottest part of the day was
1: maybe mid 70s Oh, that's not too bad. I was just going to add if the hotter it gets, the worse your stomach works. So I mm. can see that going like even worse. If it was like 90 degrees, that would just, that could be even, even more of a disaster.
3: Yeah. yeah and,
2: and you, you mentioned that like, you'll do four scoops for that first bottle. Cause usually it's a little bit lower in intensity. Uh, but for this race in particular, uh, like the start of the race was super hard and like the, the front selection was formed in the first hour. Um, like I, when I went back and looked and like, my power f- profile was like 0.95 IF for the first hour. So it was like, it was pretty much full gas from almost the start. So maybe that didn't yeah. help either. Like just going a little too hard for, for those, you know, hyper concentration or something.
1: Yeah. Well, um, one of our athletes, Logan Casper, He's been experimenting. I think, I think Dylan, maybe you tried this as well. I don't know. I, I
0: didn't like doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, know I know what you're about to talk about.
1: Yeah. Where, so basically, he filled up a whole bottle with flow and then just slowly added water. So let's just say maybe 12 scoops in a bottle or nine scoops in a bottle, whatever he needed. Uh, then he would just keep on getting water at aid stations. And you can, you can make that work, but um, I don't really recommend it because it is really easy to mess your stomach up. So if you just take too much of a sip of the concentrated bottle and then not enough water to dilute it, then it, it could mess your stomach up. So generally I think this is where Dylan's strategy of using gels works really well. Sometimes it's better to err on the side of less and then to have some backup gels to increase the amount of carbs you have rather than the reverse. Cause once you once it's mixed, you can't really it's hard hard to dilute. You I mean you could drink some and then fill the rest of the bottle up at an aid station, but it is harder to dilute than it is to just have something else to supplement. So yeah. know yeah, that makes sense. We're experimenting yeah, with
3: cells. And we're we, okay.
1: That. We're we're gonna add that soon. And I, I think especially like hot races or races with weird things going on. It's nice to have that option to have some backup carbs in your pocket. So that's something we're we're gonna add in the future.
2: Yeah, and that, that's actually what I did this past weekend. So you know still kind of experimenting with it. Um, you know this this past weekend at that gravel race it was you know, almost six hour race. And what I did was I started with two full bottles of three scoops of flow, uh, one with caffeine, one without caffeine. So kind of give my body a little break from the caffeine. Um, and then, and then I had one just plain water bottle in my pocket that I started with. And then I started with, I think six or seven gels. And I knew that at some point during the race, they only had water at the eight stations. Uh, so at some point during the race, like I'd have to stop and get just pure water, but like if you don't have any calories to supplement that with or carbs to supplement that with, then you're just getting hydration. So I uh, kind of did it for that reason. And also to kind of break it up a little bit too, you know, get some flow. And then like, you know, halfway through, I, th- I did like an hour of just gels. So I did like, you know, three gels in an hour with a water bottle. Um, and then kind of did it that way. And then, uh, I was able to hit an aid station where my wife gave me, uh, a bottle of flow again. So I was like perfect mix of like half of it was coming from flow or maybe two thirds was coming from flow. And then I had gels as a supplement and that did, that did go really well. Uh, you know, that, that worked out pretty well. Um, and I think it kind of depends on what the, the aid support's going to look like and, and, uh, you know, what products they might have there. Um, and, and also like something that I, I thought about after the first race that I did with, with just flow, that was my first time ever just using drink mix during a race. Um, other than like shorter stuff, but I'm talking like, you know, marathon style stuff. Um, like when I lost my bottle, I kind of freaked out for a second because that was the only source of nutrition I had. Right. So like I didn't have backup gels on me where like, if I lose a bottle, like, okay, worst case, I, you know, pick up a bottle of water and like, I've still got some gels. Um, so I kind of thought about that for this last one too, is like, you know, if I, if I lose a bottle, you know, reject both bottles or something like that through a technical section, uh, like that would kind of freak me out if I was Logan who was doing 12 scoops in a bottle. Cause like if that bottle goes, then there goes like all of your nutrition. Um, so that's kind of something that I was thinking about too.
1: Yeah. I did a Tan buck 50 with Dylan earlier this year and I had, I started off with three bottles and I ejected two of them in the first like 30 minutes. <laughs> and then I was just like begging people for whatever they would give me. And I, I was very, very close to the just completely blowing up. But fortunately, we stopped at one of the aid stations. Otherwise, my race would have been over. So so
2: maybe that's kind of the next foray that you guys could get into, too, is like the ejecto-proof bottle cage.
1: (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) But yeah, I think the gels are nice just to have something as a backup. Like, in a real world, if we were all robots and we could just, like, basically sip on a perfect concentration of drink mix, like an IV... And just do that and never lose a bottle that that's like ideal, but like racing doesn't work that way in the real world most of the time. So having options, like having gels being able to like switch things up, like you said, try have some water for a little bit. It's can be helpful.
2: So, so let's, let's talk a little specifics here. Have you guys started to think about your nutrition plan for Leadville yet?
0: Um, I mean, it's going to be the same nutrition plan that I use, for pretty much every race, because it's pretty it's pretty foolproof at this point. I can't remember the last time I bonked, which like I said, two scoops, two scoops per bottle of flow and then supplement with gels. And where do you like where are you anticipated getting feeds out on course? Um
1: I can I can talk about that. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't really know where the aid stations are, but I think we can okay. feed us. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I did this race in 2018. And there's two aid stations. It's a, so Leadville is an out-and-back course, um, just in case anyone doesn't know that. And there's two aid stations. So you come through, so technically four times. So there's one about two hours in, or maybe hour 45, depending on how fast you're going. But there should be an aid station between an hour and a half to two hours the whole time. Sweet. Awesome. So is that Pipeline or Twin Lakes Dam for people who do know? So there's, there's one at Pipeline and then one at Twin Lakes Dam.
2: Okay. So will you plan on, on hitting all four of those eight stations
1: then like ideally? Yeah, I think that's the plan or at least at at minimum having the option. So last, last year I helped some athletes and I handed them bottles and they didn't necessarily take a bottle every time, but it was nice for them to have the option
3: depending on how they were doing.
2: Cool. And, and what's going to be Caleb for you? Like, you know, you know, the course and Dylan, you've you've written the course now, like what's, what's going to be your strategy come Columbine? Are you going to like try and be minimal as possible? Like just, you know, ditch a bottle before and just have one bottle for up and downs. So you're carrying less weight or, or are you going to, you know, just kind of stick to whatever plan is in place. And uh, you know, if that warrants two bottles at the time, then just do two bottles or have you thought about that at all?
0: I think that it's generally better for people to err on the side of more liquid (laughs) like you don't want to run out right so you you could save 30 seconds going up columbine by having one less bottle right or you could run out and bonk and you could finish the race 30 minutes slower right yeah i I mean honestly when i pre rode columbine i went through an entire one liter bottle just on the climb and i was riding at zone two endurance pace so i I think, for sure, I'm gonna I'm gonna be having two bottles on my bike.
2: Yeah, and I think I think something that people overlook or you know th- don't think about too is, you know, the descent off Columbine from the top back down to like Twin Lakes Dam is twenty some minutes, probably twenty five minutes, maybe. Um, you know, so in in most of that, pretty high speed. There's some you know kind of chunky sections. Your two way traffic. So you're kind of always you know, both hands on the handlebars. So like by the time you get to the top of Columbine, then you get back down to where you can reasonably eat or drink again. It's, it might be half an hour for some folks. So that's a good opportunity, right? To, if you do have two bottles on board going up Columbine, you know, maybe you take a little bit extra knowing that there's going to be 20 to 30
0: minutes where you're not taking anything in. Sure. I think, you know, while we're, we should also probably address, hydration. And I think there's two parts to this. There's how much liquid do you need to take in? And then there's the sodium component or electrolyte component. Um, I've, so I haven't done a video on sodium. I plan to, but I have done a video on, on the liquid component, like how much liquid do you need to be taking in? And (laughs) the research is, is interesting in that Um, like I I feel like researchers in this field can't agree whether or not you should be super calculated about it or whether you should just go off of thirst. And in fact, there's a whole, um, there's, there's plenty of literature to suggest that, that listening to your body and how thirsty you are is the best way, best way to hydrate your body. Um, there's 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 also research that suggests that being a little bit more calculated and saying you need you know this much liquid per hour uh, may be better. But honestly, I usually go with the approach of listening to how thirsty I am to try to dictate how much how much liquid I need.
1: And then do you? I'm assuming you supplement that. So like, if you don't drink very much, then you supplement that with more gels.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. And and the, the the thing about it too is that the amount of liquid so you can try to be very calculated about it, but there are so many variables to take into account, right? And this is this goes this is actually the same case with sodium. There's a ton of variables with the sodium question too. But how hot it is is an obvious variable. Um, but then you you're going to be more dehydrated throughout the race, and and what you'll find is that you're like i said earlier in this podcast you're 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 drinking more in the last hour of the race than you're drinking in the first hour of the race it's like the amount of liquid that you need to take in almost increases throughout throughout the race um and then when we get into the sodium question it gets very complicated because we're now we're talking about how hot it is um the humidity, how heat adapted you are, because how heat adapted you are is going to determine how salty of a sweater you are. And then there's just how salty of a sweater you naturally are. Um, So, so trying to people, people have different sodium needs and trying to calculate it is actually very complicated.
2: Yeah. So Caleb, can you talk a little bit about how you guys formulated the sodium or electrolyte content? content inside of the flow formulas. Yeah.
1: So our sodium content, we just, we found some review papers that basically they took, they took like hundreds of papers and they just had like a range. So like most people are between, I don't know what the range was. Let's just say 300 and 900 milligrams of sodium an hour. So then we just did, we did like an average of that and that works for like an average person, but like people are different. Some people use more, some people use less. So something we are dropping actually i think in about a week or two so right before Leadville is a mix it's, it doesn't have any flavor but we have one mix that will have really high sodium and one with really low sodium and the idea is you can add that to do the regular drink mix to either up do either like raise the amount of sodium you have or lower the amount of sodium you have and i think so some of that is going to be like personal preference like I don't know, to really, really get a good idea of how much sodium you need, you really need to get like do a lab test Mm -hmm. and and get some hard data for that. But there is like some personal preference. I think some people can can kind of figure out from trial and error what, what works for them. So we have multiple athletes like Ian Boswell. He knows he wants more sodium, so he will add a little bit of extra sodium to his drink mix. So by having this high sodium, he can just do that by adding a scoop or two of that with regular flow.
2: Awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, for folks out there who just want like a general idea, um, you know, if, if you're craving something salty, you're probably not getting enough sodium. So kind of go on what Dylan was saying, like listening to your body. Uh, Like we've all been there where you like, you, you come home from a really hard training ride and you're feeling kind of cracked and you're hungry. Uh, If you're craving like, chips and salsa, that's usually my like go-to salt, like salty, uh, craving, uh, then I know I probably didn't get enough sodium or, you know, lost a lot of sweat, you know, or sodium due to sweat during that ride. Um, or if I'm craving something sweet, like if I, if I want to go for that, like ice cream or, you know, piece of cake or just tube of frosting or something like that, then I probably depleted most of my glycogen stores. And I, you know, just, you know, didn't quite, uh, top off on, on enough carbohydrates during the ride. Um, and, and, just listening to your body like that is at least a way to get general sense of like whatever you did, was it, was it enough? Like if your body is really craving something, it's because it needs it. So you, you probably didn't supplement with enough of whatever that was. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, you, you can do, I, I know they have like at home tests and stuff you can do and there's different, uh, you know, there, there's different protocols to like figure out what your sweat rate is based on weight and things like that too. But, um, like if you really, if you're trying to get scientific with, it and you want to really dial it in, like you, have got to go do some kind of lab testing or something. Um, but just know that that's always not going to translate over to the exact scenario, uh, given like your, your racing circumstance, like humidity is going to affect that quite a bit temperature, um, what your preloading, uh, plan was heading into it. Uh, you know, it depends on kind of like you were saying, Dylan, like what your heat acclimation is or, uh, elevation that's going to change things too. So, it is super complicated. Like you, it's really hard. Like if you're trying to dial it in to the exact science every single time, it can be really difficult. But having this like general broad range of like what generally works for you is is really important.
0: Yeah, and and the fortunate thing is that uh, there's going to be a you know it's not like you have to hit the exact amount of sodium. There's a there's a range of sodium intake that's gonna that's gonna work for you when you're racing. So and the range for most people is quite large so you it's it's not it's not like it's not like you're bound to screw this up right because because there's a <laughs> there's an acceptable range of you know if you if you if you fall outside of the range bad things are going to happen but if you're if you're generally doing things right you're probably going to be within the range
2: yeah totally and i think that's where training comes into play you know like tinker with it a little bit like if I if it's going to be hot outside, I throw like an extra 500 mgs of of sodium into my drink mix or something like that beforehand because I just like anticipate I'm going to be sweating more. Um, I'm probably also going to bring like an extra bottle with me or something too. And you kind of just get to play with it a little bit in your training, uh, and that gives you the confidence that like like you're saying Dylan, like it's not it doesn't have to be the exact science every single time. Like you can you can get away with quite a bit of variance. Um, obviously, like the more optimized you can get, the the better chances you are of having a peak performance, but. Uh, it's not like if you screw one thing up, you know, just a little bit, uh, it's going to completely tank your performance. Like if you've, if you trained your body well and like you've, you've practiced some of these things, um, maybe don't do what I did and like add 25% extra without even trying it beforehand. Like, you know, probably better off training with that ahead of time. But, uh, there is a pretty, like you're saying, a pretty, pretty big range of, of what could work and, and hopefully you'll figure that out through training. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, so part of. Part of your issue, going back to you know over concentrating the bottles, it could have definitely been just the fact that your body wasn't used to taking in, you know, that many carbohydrates. Um, but it could have also been the sodium concentration was a little bit too high. Um, for sure. And I, I mean, personally for myself, I've found that if the sodium concentration is too high, I'll all develop gut issues in the race. There can be a lot of different reasons for gut issues. So if you if you get gut issues, it does not necessarily mean that it's the sodium concentration that is the cause of that, but it could be.
2: Yeah, and and I mean the weird thing was I I didn't really feel like gut distress during the race. Um I just like got to a point where I like couldn't drink mix anymore. Like I just needed water. Um, which tells me that like my sodium content was too high, right? Going back to like listening to what your body wants, if your body just wants straight water and you know that you're sweating out something that's not straight water, like you're sweating out, um, electrolytes, uh, usually like if you're, whatever you're losing, your body wants to, uh, you know, try and, uh, you know, reach for, you know, retain. So the fact that my body just wanted straight water and nothing else tells me that, Uh, You're right. It was probably, you know, hyper concentrated from uh, electrolyte and sodium perspective. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I think what can happen as well is your stomach, it just gets more and more concentrated. And so you just have some like way too concentrated drink mix in your stomach. So that drinking that water helps dilute that and then pass it through. So like when you can't drink anymore, you might just have a bunch of stuff just sitting in your stomach and that tells your
0: body, Hey, stop drinking or stop drinking drink mix. I want water. Yeah, that makes sense. Sweet. Do we have uh, do we have anything else to add to this conversation before we wrap
2: it up? Caleb, one question I was going to ask you. So going back to like the, uh, real quick, going back to the glucose-fructose ratio, or you're talking like, you know, the malto to, to fructose. Um, you guys have optimized with a uh, 1 to 0.8 ratio. Was there ever a point in time, because the, the old adage was 2 to 1, was there ever a point in time where you started with the 2 to 1 and then you've kind of followed the scientific trend of like, moving towards this one to point eight or did you guys were you guys kind of on the cutting edge and went straight to the one to point eight which is currently like the optimal ratio
1: yeah so when we were testing we originally started with the two to one and we played with that for a while and we actually used sucrose and fructose so we we tried a few different things and then it worked it worked fine but then we started digging more into the research and that's when we went to the the one to point eight ratio cool
2: yeah, it's awesome to see. I mean, you know, it sounds like you guys have some other stuff in the pipeline too. Uh, for anyone listening out there, uh, if you are looking for that, you know, different ratio of uh, or different, you know, um, you know, content of, of sodium, uh, we'll have you'll have that product coming out pretty soon. Uh, and it sounds like you got some other stuff in the pipeline as well. So it's cool to see you guys continuing to develop and, uh, yeah, just progress the nutrition side of the industry. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me on the podcast. Appreciate it.
2: And for everyone listening, we'll have a a, a code for you to go and um, order some some flow. Uh, you can use that to uh, buy different drink products. Or Caleb, can they you know can they get some of the uh, flow like merchandise yeah, on there I think as well? Yeah, it works for with everything that?
1: on the website. I think the code is okay. Ignition Podcast. Sweet.
2: Ignition Podcast. Cool. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well for folks. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll we'll chat soon. Yeah. I'll Catch you later all right folks thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the matchbox podcast like i said at the beginning you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title the matchbox podcast links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes tune in next week for another endurance training related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event catch y'all soon let's go